Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Tatsos Katsaunis from the Breadman Baking Company coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my good friend and frequent co-host, Mary Clarkson, the owner of Avondale Food and Wine Restaurant and Wine Bar in Montrose. Mary, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Eric. Howdy. Good to be here. Thanks for doing this. It's Thanksgiving week, so we're going we're gonna to motor through, but uh, we do have Quite a bit to discuss, so let's dive right into the news of the week. Starting with the news that Moving Sidewalk, the downtown cocktail bar, is kaput. And in its place, Moving Sidewalk owner Brad Moore has partnered with the owners of Cantina Barbara, Manuel De Leon, and Stephen O'Sullivan to bring a new to-be-named Barba-affiliated concept to the space at 306 Main Street. Mary, what do you, uh, I, I, th- I think of you as a Cantina Barba fan. I think we have been I to Cantina am. Barba together. We have been. Like oh, early, good. Early, early days. Yes. So what do you, th- I mean, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm, I mean, I like Cantina Barba and I like their kind of, it's a, it's a real simple menu, you know, straightforward like that, that smoked pork taco is killer. You know, that $5 cheeseburger gets raised. Their agave-based cocktails are delicious, especially that slushy that I think was pineapple when they opened and was mango the last time I was there. But it does seem like maybe a bit of an odd fit for Main Street, uh, mostly because there is a pretty good taqueria and cantina like two blocks away on Franklin Street, La Calle, So just in the sense that it seems like they already kind of have that in the neighborhood, it seems like a bit of a strange fit. I agree to disagree. I think that this, I think, okay, there's a a place two blocks away, but they are right in the thick of all the core bars of this part of downtown. And I think they're set to capitalize on that. And it's turnkey. So that's also a win for them. Oh, yeah, no, this, this will not, it will not take very long for... I'm just going to call it Barba Downtown, mm-hmm. Barba Main Street to open, right? This space was, it just basically, you know, they need to clear off whatever whiskey <laughs> is on the on the back bar, replace it with tequila and mezcal, and then, you know, give the kitchen a good scrubbing to get it back into ship shape from the Goro and Gun days. They should pull like what Burger Joint does. They should be up until 4 a.m. on Friday, Saturday and mm. make that money. Well, and I, I think that will be part of the plan. I mean, Cantina Barba is already open until... It's late night. Yeah, two or three. It's become a real industry hang. And so I think in that sense, I, look, they definitely have a following. They definitely have a pretty good product. Like I said, that smoked pork taco is killer. It's delicious. You know, the chicken is good. The the beef barbecue is pretty good. So I, I think they have a following. I just... Um, I do wonder about... Because, you know, the the days of when, when all of those bars opened in 2013, when Goro and Gun and, and uh, 
Bad News Bar and Little Dipper and the Pastry War all opened up. That area had kind of a a cool vibe and you had to be kind of in on the know to go there. And then as as Brad Moore observed to me when I when I talked to him about this for an article in Culture Map, it's changed, right? It's it's a very much a, a weekend, like Friday, Saturday night crowd. It's a younger crowd. Mm-hmm. And the the cool like sceny kids have like they're I don't know where they're hanging out, but they're not hanging out. They're not hanging out on Main Street. I'll go down there every now and then. It's not a mainstay for me. Like you have to mean it to go down there. Right. Well, and then there's right. Because bad news still I mean, bad news is still very excellent and kind of cool. And of course Tunkett Sparrow is hidden away back there. Tunkett's what gets me down there. Right. <laughs> no doubt. So I, I just but I guess like this is a, I mean you can't go wrong in Houston selling good tacos and cheap cheeseburgers. No, and if they cater, if it, if it is a younger crowd, and I think it is, I think you nailed it. I mean, this is going to appeal to them. Drunk people aren't going to walk two blocks. They're lazy and they're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Right. I mean, this is uh, yeah. <laughs> Telling it like it is. Sorry, Eric. No, no, Mary. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> So, yeah, so we will see what becomes of downtown Barba. But I clearly, I mean, clearly whatever whatever was happening, moving sidewalk had sort of outlived its usefulness, I think. It it had a it had its time. It, it had, had its, its run, but I but again, right, that that younger crowd has kind of changed what what works and doesn't work on Main Street. And so essentially only bad news bar gets to be the the hip cocktail bar. There's not room for two of those. Not and not right next to each other. I agree. Okay. So we'll keep an eye on that. Topic number two, Savor, the Winefield new restaurant from former Tiny Boxwoods operations manager, Brian Doak. And I'm going to let you say William's last name. What? <laughs> William William Mes- Oh, I was like, what? Um, okay, yes, William Mesnerich. Yes, I know William very well. Yes. That is how you pronounce his last name. Oh, good. Oh, goody. Uh, is starting to take shape. Brian has hired Micah right out to be the executive chef. I think I have followed Micah across about a half a dozen restaurants in the last three years. Uh, Tarakan, the... Uh, brief-lived Pan-Asian concept on Main Street. He was attached to Patente when it first opened before Danny Trace got involved. He popped up at uh, Ambrosia, the kind of small plates, Asian tapas bar in the Upper Kirby area. Most recently, he was at Jackson's Grill out in Cyprus. He's worked for Uchi and Main Kitchen and I don't know, probably a bunch of other places that I can't think of off the top of my head. But uh, Savor is going to be a really cool addition to the Heights. I think we've talked about it before. Uh, you know, a, a restaurant that wants to be flexible enough to be like, come in and have a glass of wine and a bowl of pasta on a Wednesday and then come back on Saturday for like a really cool, hard to get bottle of French wine and a like duck for two on the weekend. So kind of gets that high low thing, maybe at a, in a level of refinement that, that doesn't really exist in the Heights, right? Like what's the, 
what's the nicest restaurant in the Heights right now? It's probably Cultivare. Well, no, <laughs> Cultivare is super casual. Doesn't take reservations. It's my favorite though. It's delicious. I'm not arguing, and it's very you know this is this is trying to be a little more elevated than that. So maybe Maison Pucha, maybe Alice Blue, like trying to trying to set a new standard for the Heights. And I think Mike is an interesting character just because his skill set is so eclectic. I think you know if they're aiming the the goal for them should be to be the best neighborhood restaurant they can be, you know? So if that's what they're aiming for, I think they've got some tough competition, but let's see what they have. I'm always interested to see uh, new concepts and, and what they're doing. And I've known William a long time, so I want to see what he's doing with the wine list. Right. William's picking the wine list, and there's going to be a wine shop next to it called Le Grand Rue that will sell wine to go, obviously. And, and the Heights really doesn't have a sophisticated bottle shop, mostly because it wasn't legal to sell wine there until relatively recently. You are correct. But yeah, if it's a like a slightly more sophisticated Nancy's hustle type Good. for the heights. Damn Erica, bigger go home. <laughs> like Well, Nancy, I mean I, Nancy. I I mean I think they feel like the sky's the limit. You know, they want to no. be able to they want to be able to accomplish you know, they have they have a private space, like they're they're gunning for some pretty serious business. Yes, they are. I wish them the best. I'm excited to see it. Well, let me say, I got to taste a couple of things. I, they oh, invited where me to was a, my invite? Well, it was kind of one of those last-minute deals. Hmm. But Micah was doing like a like a duck crackling and chicken liver mousse dish. You had me at crackling. Yeah, right. Like crispy, salty, crunchy crackling smeared with like really creamy, rich chicken liver mousse. Like that just, that checks a lot of boxes for me. <laughs> he did like a cool uh, Texas Wagyu, like not quite tartare, but like a carpaccio kind of preparation. Uh, and these uh, this chicken wrapped in mustard greens that was like really aromatic, really pungent. And look, obviously it's kind of one thing to make one dish at a time for Brian and me sitting in a, not in their, you know, in a commercial kitchen space, not at, not at their restaurant. But um, I think the ideas are interesting. And obviously the wine list is going to be super cool. So whatever level of interest I had in Savor before I got the chance to taste those dishes is much higher now. I'm excited to try. I'm slightly upset with you for not including me, but I'll get over it. Well, you will get the chance to try. It will open maybe as soon as next week, but more likely at the very beginning of December. How are they staffing? Just curious, like the rest of their staff. So Brian brought uh, a GM with him who used to work with him at Tiny Boxwoods. Okay. And then I think the the like, you know, the bartenders, the cooks, all that stuff is kind of TBA. Okay. Sounds- but William is wine director, Brian as managing partner and Micah as executive chef. That's a, that's a good, strong core. I agree. All right. Topic number three, Houston public media has uh, released a one-off special episode in partnership with David Cordua called the Houston cookbook. Mary, did you, have you watched the episode? I haven't, but I read your article about it and I'm interested to see it for sure. Yeah, let me just say this is a really cool half-hour episode. David, for for a 30-minute TV episode, they cover a lot of ground. 
He goes shopping for the ingredients and then makes chicken tikka masala with Kirin Verma of Kirin's. He goes over to Anna Bevan's house in Montrose. She's the owner of Cuchara Mexico City Bistro. They make one of my favorite people. They make green mole together. Yum. He makes pho at Pho One in Asia Town. He makes that's a, a lot. He makes a goozy soup and fufu with the owners of Safari Restaurant in Southwest Houston. He makes gojujang beef belly burnt ends with. Ki Wong from Blood Brothers Barbecue, and then he has like a little dinner party at his house where he makes pizza. And you can't you can't really tell what the pizzas are when you're you're watching him, but like one of them is chicken tikka pizza, one of them is like a banh mi pizza. So he's kind of like his own version of this eclectic. Anyway, but it's the episodes the episodes ending, so they kind of smush the the food part of that. But it shows the city's diversity, uh, and I've talked about this on the show a little bit, but this idea that that West African cuisine, Nigerian food, that we have a, a an established Nigerian community in Houston that's kind of underrepresented in terms of its media coverage, it's really starting to emerge, and this is just the latest sign of that. It's it's a great watch. It's it's on the uh, Houston Public Media website and available on their various streaming platforms, so that if you have a you know a Roku player or something like that, you can you can get the Houston public media channel and watch the episode. Uh, and David does a really good job hosting. It's, it's hard to be in front of the camera, but David said he really felt like Anthony Bourdain in his own city. Oh, that's, that's sweet. That's something to aim for. Yeah. You know, David a little bit, right? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah. David, I think it's nice to have a younger chef's take on the city. I, I, I would love to see a lot of different chefs do something like this. I think it's, Nice to see other other chefs like him um, giving us their take on our our beautiful and diverse city. Right, I right. Houston Public Media could go a couple of different if they wanted to do more episodes of this. They could they could they could keep David and sure. just send him to more places, or that's an interesting idea. They could have other chefs hop in and take over David's role and be, you know, the the culinary tourist, the the guide to. Some of these other cuisines. I think, it, I mean, you get asked a lot where you eat and where to recommend, where you would recommend. And I think that's the thing people want to see from chefs. Like they want to know where does a chef go on his night off? What's his favorite spot? What's his favorite style of food? And it's not always the obvious choice, you know, just because um, David was part of Cordura restaurants for so long. That doesn't mean that's necessarily his favorite thing to eat on his night off. I I love going to Chinatown with you and all the different spots around town that we love so much. So, well, yeah, he and Karen are very close. I mean, that's, you know, that's, you wouldn't necessarily assume that they would be, but they're, they're, they're very good friends. Yeah. The camaraderie amongst chefs in this town, I think more insight to that is a pretty cool thing for outsiders to witness. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of our own people who really are supportive with each other and who like to cook with each other. Yes. All right. Topic number four. Tell me. The most read story on Culture Map oh last gosh. week, Lance Zerline's story of <laughs> a wild night at Riel. I think that's how we described it in the headline. A customer entered the restaurant already intoxicated, was refused service by the restaurant, and became belligerent and violent, <laughs> ultimately swearing, uh, saying all sorts of obscenities to... Chef Ryan Lashane and his manager Nick, 
and then ultimately throwing a punch at Ryan when Ryan was trying to like nice. get the guy out the door. <laughs> they called the police who came to detain this person. And in the process of detaining him, he began kicking the police officers. So he was charged with assault on a police officer. Now, this is all... Now, Lance Zerline tells a much better version of this than I do, and he told it over the course of about a 10-minute segment on the bench. That's the the morning show on ESPN 97.5, which, like Culture Map, is owned by Gal Media, which is part of the reason that we're talking about this. Uh, Lance tells it better than I do. But, Mary, let me just let me just ask you, as a restaurateur, what's it like when you have to throw somebody out? I've only had to do it once in seven years, and it was incredibly memorable. Um, I I don't even want to relive it, but it wasn't. It didn't get physical, but it uh, it was a day before Valentine's Day, maybe year two of the restaurant, and an older gentleman in a very nice suit uh, yelled at me profanity laced and I kindly asked him to leave and he said we're not leaving and I said your entire check's on us but you have two minutes to go before the cops arrive so you know a little a little uh, threat of calling a cop will usually get somebody out of your establishment without violence but this I've never seen or witnessed anything like this well and I asked I mean you know we've had I've had Ryan on the show a couple of times you know, he was a, a pretty serious amateur hockey player. He's not, I don't think of him as, as violent, but he's also not going to back down from people. <laughs> so have you ever, have you ever like had a customer take a swing at you or, or try to shove you or anything? He's like, no, no, never, ever. And so even by the standards of like bars and restaurants, this is, this is a very unusual, uh, I mean, it sounds like situation. the guy was on drugs. Like, I don't even know how, well, like... Well, yeah, I mean, or, I... Or drunk, beyond drunk. His wife slapped him when he was on the ground. I mean, my God. So his wife slapped him <laughs> a couple of times in the restaurant, which is one of the things that set him off. And then when he was hogtied on the ground, handcuffed, about to be dragged away by the police, she bent down and gave him a, a full kiss on the lips. Like, good luck, honey. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, everything about this story is improbable. Exactly what combination of intoxicants put him in that state of mind is not clear. Uh, That it persisted for over an hour and included him slamming his head against uh, the glass, the window of the police car, indicates to me that it probably wasn't just alcohol. (laughs) That there might have been some other substances at play. I don't... You Their know. version of date night is pretty next level. <laughs> <laughs> I think my I think my favorite part of the story is that she this woman like called the restaurant the next day and was like, "Where did you tow my car? I'd like to pick it up." And they said, "Oh no, lady, we didn't we didn't tow your car. Your husband left it running with the door open in the middle of the street. Yes. The cops towed your car." Oh my god. So she like Whatever her state of mind was, she was so oblivious to what was going on that she didn't remember that. I, why aren't we name checking this guy? <laughs> I am it's worried. Not to protect the innocent here. No, I am worried. Uh, uh, no, we are not naming this guy because Ryan did not name him to me. <laughs> that is that is my official story. That I don't did, know his name. Did the gentleman pay his tab? <laughs> well, no, he was never served. 
Oh, he, he didn't came even in, make it that far? No, no. He came <laughs> into the restaurant already intoxicated. They took one look at the guy and were like, no, we're not serving you. <laughs> and he became irate. So there was no tab because there was no service. Wow. I just, it's, um, yeah, I, I've never seen anything like it. I'm trying to think of like something kind of close. I, I do know a guy took a swing at a chef at a restaurant, a friend of mine's maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, but he missed and then he got kicked out. But yeah, I've never heard of this. You know, this guy, this guy connected <laughs> with Ryan and, and then Lance, Lance was like right in the middle of all this and pulled Ryan away before Ryan could swing back at him, which is probably for it's the best wise. for everyone involved. Uh, and then I, I've ignored the detail where he tried to punch his way through a locked door to get back into the restaurant after they got him outside. I mean, my God. So, yeah, scary, right? Right. Funny in the retelling, scary in the moment, and, and just not the sort of thing that I feel bad that for Ryan's customers. I mean, if you're witnessing that, like, not only are you maybe scared, it's also ruining your night. Oh, 100%. It's like, check, please. <laughs> right? Like, I was, like, I went, I went to Papacitas this weekend and was annoyed that two of the tables near me got the birthday treatment, which involves them chanting and clapping for like 60 seconds. We could have said it was your birthday. No, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want like, I don't want to have to listen to other people shouting at the table next to me. I think every time we, go right. Out- never mind, never mind a customer shouting obscenities and being arrested in front of the restaurant. Right. So, so hopefully, I mean, hopefully the customers who were witness to this understand that, this was like a very improbable situation to go back to Riel. But uh but yes, no, if I were if I had been in the dining room, I would have been lightly traumatized. Not not as traumatized as as the patron was when he woke up in jail the next morning. Nice. I think next time um we go to lunch or dinner, I'm gonna have them sing you the happy birthday song. Thanks. <laughs> That's what friends are for. All right, Mary, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Mary, for our restaurant of the week, I would like to discuss Shun Japanese Kitchen. Yes. This is a newly opened Japanese restaurant on Shepherd Drive right next to Houston Wine Merchant. That space has been a number of things. Over the years, I remember it as Dosi, a kind of cool oh my gosh, Korean concept. It was two or three years ago. Uh, it was most recently uh, a sushi bar called Osaka that didn't last very long. But I'm intrigued by Shun or maybe Shen because the chef is part of the family that owns Nippon in Montrose. So he's a native Texan of Japanese heritage with professional culinary training. So he's synthesizing some traditional Japanese ideas with some Houston flavors to create something that's a little bit different than just a regular sushi restaurant or just a regular izakaya. Uh, you had dinner at, at Shun. I did this what past did, weekend. What did you think? Uh, so it's still, they had sake uh, and wine, I guess, but I was under the impression it was still BYOB, which it was. So we brought our own wine Um with that said, the meal was incredibly good. It's also incredibly expensive. Right. So I want to I want to take those two things separately. Okay. Because they, and they can be separate for yeah, sure. Yeah. No. There are dishes on the menu I really really like. I like the 
carnitas gyoza, right? It's mm-hmm. it's a really smart idea to stuff dumplings with crispy pork instead of like mushy ground pork, mm-hmm. right? Like that's a really clever idea. The composed, the individual composed nigiri, like look like something out of an omakase. The omakase nigiri was beautifully done. Yeah, beautifully presented, well seasoned, right? This is not like this is not the kind of sushi where you make the brown slurry. And, you know, dunk it right side down. I didn't touch soy the whole time. No, you you don't need it. Yep. So, and then I even, when I was there, I had a a really, really delicate uh, tortellini dish stuffed with blue crab, served with poached pears and this like really great flavorful uni sauce. So again, a lot of cool ideas on the menu, but as you said, price is an issue. Pricey. It was, we're four people. It was a over a hundred dollars a person and we brought our own wine uh and i ended my evening at maybe 2 a.m at whataburger so uh it's a generous amount of food but it's a lot of money for maybe not being totally satisfied with the amount of food that you're getting the flavors are there i love this chef i know his family i want him to do amazing things but it's as expensive or more expensive than kata or mf right so i i did look that up uh for the purposes of talking about it in my where to eat column so for example that that tortellini was three three pieces of pasta for 26 dollars. that's that's like even demarco wouldn't right like you you go to demarco if you if you got Three tortellini at DeMarco, you'd feel ripped off. Olivier does a tortellini dish with six or seven tortellini in it, and it's like fifteen dollars, you right. know, and it's handmade from scratch. So that's a big dollar to be charging. It's a lot of money, you know. And then the prices of the individual pieces of nigiri are kata or even higher than kata, which is hard to justify. I mean, kata and is Kata's- one of the, the truly best. Kata's portions are really generous too, I right. would say. Like their cuts are big. They're bigger than Uchi's. Their prices, and they're bigger than Uchi's and MF's, in my opinion. I don't know. Um, but for a strict purist on sushi, Kata's the best game in town. Right. So I so my my casual Sunday night dinner for two at <laughs> at Shun wound up at like 150 bucks before the tip. And I'm still not a hundred percent sure. Like even looking over the bill and like doing the math, it was like I don't understand. You yeah, know? especially when you didn't purchase alcohol. That's my thing. Right. Like if you, if the wines that we had brought plus a tip, you would have been pushing one fifty two hundred a person. Yeah. So I think, you know, and it's something I I spoke to them about when I got the bill, and it's something I wrote about uh, in Where to Eat, and. You know, if, if they tell me, like, this is just what the ingredients cost and this is what we need to pay our rent and pay our people, then I guess so be it. But It's a competitive landscape out there. I That's tough. Yeah, I think it, it makes that – it makes a restaurant that I'm excited about from a culinary perspective difficult to recommend because that that price point comes with certain expectations for experience and I'm not – it's hard to live up to. What I like about Kata, for example, is that it's open for lunch and dinner, unlike Uchi or MF. And if you want an inexpensive Kata experience, you can have it. You can go there for lunch and have a beautiful sushi dish for 
under 20 bucks, or you can have ramen for 10 or 12, or you can have that high-low experience, or you can get spendy at nighttime or at lunch if you want chef to cook for you and everything else. But um, being able to afford people just to pop in for lunch is a nice thing. Are they ever going to open for lunch or just dinner? No, I th- I just dinner for now. I think okay. they have plans to open for lunch and do some bento boxes, which would be... I'd be curious about that and about happy hour if they get there. Right, yeah, they have plans for happy hour. I think all of that stuff will at least give people a way to kind of try the cuisine at a lower price point and decide, like, maybe they do want to commit to the big ticket dinner because I think in some ways, like, part of it was that part of part of the reason that I was upset is because it was such a surprise to to get that kind of bill <laughs> at the end of the night. So nothing will ever surpass our Mastro's sticker shock. Okay, no, that's true. <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll revisit that another time. All right, Mary, thank you. Uh, before you go, what's going on at Avondale Food and Wine? So with our uh, new wine retail store that we have, we did one of our first holiday markets this past weekend. It was a big success. We'll be doing one more uh, before Christmas. So Thursday, December 13th from 5 to 8, we'll have a bunch of our distributors pouring wine that evening from California, from France, um, and hopefully we will have Houston Dairy Maids there as well. So come and try Taste Wine. It's free with any purchase, so it gives you the chance to try 20, 30, 40 of your favorite wines and uh, pick some last-minute presents up for Christmas dinner. Great. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'll be right back with The Bread Man. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Tassos. I'm going to do my best with this. Tassos Katsaunis. Very nice. Well done. Of the Breadman Baking Company, a new-ish bakery that's showing up on the menus of lots of really good Houston restaurants in a, in a short amount of time. Thank you, sir. Tassos, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I, I know that I've written about this for Culture Map uh, a few months ago, but it's it's such a great story. So let's start with how you how how did you go from consultant to baker? Sure. Um, so I uh, I'm first generation Greek American, and out of necessity, my mother used to bake bread at home because it was more affordable to buy a bag of flour than it was to buy the good stuff uh, from the store. So I would grow up baking bread religiously with my mother at least twice, sometimes three times a week uh, for the house. So fast forward now to a year and a half ago, it was probably the end of February, early March. My wife and I are having a conversation in my kitchen about how my father-in-law, who passed in 2013, used to make us really big, beautiful breads for the family around Easter time. So it sparked the memory of when I raised my hand. I said, you know, I know how to make bread. And she's like, we've been married almost eight years, and I don't know this about you. And so I started- You've never baked for me. No, exactly. I never baked at the house because, you know, three kids, a professional career- um, so I, uh, I started baking out of a hobby and literally Eric through social media, I would just post pretty pictures of my breads on my personal social media pages, which through Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. And people started noticing them. And before I knew it within about uh, six to eight weeks time, after I started this hobby out of my house, um, the Weston hotel downtown called me. And they said, hi, we'd like to um, speak to the owner of the bakery. We'd like to sample your breads. And I kindly, you know, explained to them that I'm not a bakery. I'm just a guy at home with a, an oven. Uh, 
And they said, yes, is this Tassos? And they said, yes. They go, yeah, we have the right number. Can you be here next week? And I thought, okay, well, I'm not one to turn down a meeting. So I went, met with them. And that's when I realized that there's a hotel in Houston that wanted breads for me. And I had no bakery, so I had to figure out what I was going to do. Yeah. So you, you built this thing in a hurry, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you started, you, you, you basically led a double life, right? Yes. You were, you yeah. were consulting yeah. nine to five and then baking, you know, six to midnight. Basically. Oh, it was, it was funny. I would uh, jump off of conference calls, mute a call, run to the oven, pull a loaf out, right? Put another one in, come back, unmute the call, get back on the call. And then I would, you know, for larger batches that I had to do for different things, I would do them all night. I wouldn't sleep for a while. It got to the point to where my wife goes, you either need to bake, oops, you either need to bake or you need to um, focus on one or the other, but I really feel like you're happier baking. And so it was her that really pushed me out of the nest to say, maybe this is something you should focus on full time. Right. So when did you, or, or, because you, you, you must have built a roster of clients pretty quickly, right? It, it couldn't have just been, it wasn't just the Westin keeping you busy. Um, we only had, believe it or not, so from my house, we scaled into this little tiny commissary on the north side of town. So picture a 12 foot by 12 foot room, which is where we would mix doughs, we would shape doughs, proof doughs, and then take them down the hall to a, a, a kitchen, a commercial kitchen, and bake them in your standard convection ovens in Dutch ovens. To, to simulate steam so you can get the nice hard crusty breads right so that's what we did for the better part of about eight eight months or so and then um then we finally decided it was time to scale because of demand um we had people coming to us wanting bread but i had very limited capacity in that little tiny kitchen so that's when i said okay maybe we invest into our own space and that's when we finally got around to opening our current bakehouse because we had just had submitted our build-out permits like a week before harvey hit and so it took us about almost six months to get our build-out permits. So we finally got the new bakery open um, the end of um, June. And so our roster of clients that you see now is what we've been able to build since we opened that new bakehouse in June. Right. And we should say, I mean, you are, you're popping up in a lot of places. I mean, for example, you're at Avondale Food and Wine. Mary, Mary <laughs> was just here doing her part of the show. Uh, I know you're at Georgia James, Chris Shepard's yeah. new steakhouse. Yeah, yeah. Where else are where else are people finding your breads? Um, so we're like you said, we're at Georgia James, we're at Avondale. Um, we're also at um, uh, Killen's STQ. Um, we are at uh, One Fifth. Um, we're at Nobis uh, Bistro Manil, uh, Boss Cat Kitchen Libations BCK, the Dunlavy. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, Jane was on the show. Yes, last week and gave you a, a shout out. I saw that, and I I was of course very. I love Jane. She's one of my favorite people. Um, so we're at Frank's Americana, we're at both Helen's locations, um, Levi at Urban Eats, uh, Eunice, uh, buys from us, uh, the Grand Duca Hotel just started with us. So let me, so let me say, because I, I, I don't necessarily want to rattle them off by name, but sure. there are a number of, there, there's maybe three or four like pretty high quality bread baking operations that are distributing to restaurants around town. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you're doing at Breadman that kind of sets you apart? So that's a great question. Um, I, um, I'm very proud to say that I have an amazing head baker. 
Um, I realized very early on that I can't do it all myself. So I recruited a head baker from Whole Foods who ran the commissary for the Rocky Mountain region. And she was professionally trained in San Francisco, which is the same place where I was trained. So we had mutual contacts and that's how we found each other. Um, she knows how to scale an operation um, and she makes an incredible product. So we partnered with, partnering with me, we were able to scale my recipes and hers and we, we've, we've got a really good solid product. The other side of that is we have no interest in over-commercializing ourselves. And when I say that, that's not to say that other people here in the market have. But what I mean by that is we take a more small batch approach to our uh, production. So I don't just create inventory to create inventory. Um, And we take a lot of the old school type methods of making bread. Like a lot of our breads are naturally fermented. Um, so, you know, you get, you get a different quality of product when you naturally ferment it as opposed to just bumping it with yeast and filling it with conditioners, which we don't do. And I don't know what other people do, frankly, cause I put my head down, I go to the bakehouse and we just make bread. So for me, it's just, let's just, our target honestly is let's just make the bread that we want to eat and hopefully others want to eat it too. And it's been working. Right. So, so what are you making? You yeah. Have, you have, uh, there are two. <laughs> <laughs> overloaded shopping bags right in front of me, yeah. uh, wafting incredible smells. Yeah. So, so um, we make our country sourdoughs, which is what um, Chris buys over at uh, Georgia James. Those little table bowls that he serves you, those are our breads, which I'm very proud to say. Um, for the season now, we do a sweet potato casserole bread, which is sweet potatoes, um, marshmallow, and pecan. And it's awesome, I have to say. Um, they're serving that over at... Um, at STQ and as well as over at uh, the Dunleavy. Jane buys it at the Dunleavy too, and I, I love that bread. We've got cranberry walnuts in here. I think we've got cinnamon raisin Texas pecan. Um, uh, what she do? Uh, she brought. She took away our focaccia. The uh, your previous guest. Yes, me. Mary. Mary. Yeah, took Mary. The yeah, Mary took the. Uh, but but we're, we make a lot of uh, our focus primarily is our hearth breads. You know, we love the crusty artisan breads that come out of the deck oven. Um, that's really our sweet spot. Um, we we make also a nice high quality high uh, artisan bun for burgers and stuff that we really like that we've got a good uh, following on that too. So, and we make a really good uh, European uh, baguette. Our baguettes are, I'm very proud of our baguettes too, because I, you know, baguettes are not an easy thing to make. Um, but all right. So has your mother been to Houston since you opened this business? Has she approved the quality of the, the bread you're making in her name? Yeah. It's funny you say that. Um, she's here now for Thanksgiving and she's been here once before and she walked into the bakery and of course she teared up and I was like, please don't do this, mom. We're not right here. And so I have my whole team, right? My whole team, my baker and everybody's looking at my mother like, oh no, she's so cute. And my mom's just crying tears of joy. And of course I was like, okay, well, if my mom is crying, then we've got approval. We can continue. Like we're not going to shut the doors anytime soon. Right. <laughs> right. Cause if, if mom is unhappy with your execution of her recipe, right. Right. You're probably in trouble. Because two breads that we make still are two of my mother's and my grandmother's recipes, which is our Kalamata olive and Greek oregano bread and our Greek village bread, which is a, a naturally fermented bread with a little bit of olive oil in it, a little bit of touch of whole wheat, and it's really, really good. Well, yeah, I guess that was one of the things is, is like, how many of the, the breads you're making or the breads you were making in your kitchen, and then how have you kind of evolved the product mix? Yeah. So there's about three or four that I was making out of my home kitchen that we've scaled those recipes now into the new bakehouse and, and, um, 
the actual starter that I used and started about two years ago is the same starter we use now in our bakery. And Desiree, my head baker, who I adore, she's my work wife, she was able to scale it. Now it sits there in like 30-gallon drums, and it's awesome. Um, so there's a, a good three or four of them. My jalapeno cheddar, which I, I love that jalapeno cheddar, and that's also my original recipe, and there's a few others too. Yeah, I'm actually kind of hoping there's jalapeno cheddar in one of those bags. because There's not? Oh, no! Because we didn't make any last night, but we're making some tonight, late tonight. So you may have one delivered tomorrow if you're here. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm always here. Well, that, that's not true. Um, you're also making a, a really, you know, I, I will say, uh, in my experience, uh, a really good Jewish challah. Thank you. You know, I like appreciate a, a that. pretty classic yeah. egg bread that's yeah. like a, a staple of family occasions in my house. Yeah, I've, I love our, our hollas are really good. Um, Desiree's, that's Desiree's recipe. I, I will give her all the credit in the world. We, um, our hollas are made with an heirloom grain. So we love to use heirloom grains. That's the other thing that I think that may potentially be differentiating us maybe from others or getting us a little bit of attention in the market. Um, so we get some, a lot of flowers from Barton Springs out in, uh, Barton Springs Mills out from Bar- Barton Springs. And we use a uh, an heirloom grain in that challah recipe that uh, gives it just a, it's got a natural sweetness and nuttiness to it. And I think that's what makes our challah really, really good. Yeah, no, I had James on the show several months ago yeah, to James kind of Brown. talk about yeah. what he's doing at, at Barton Springs. And, and, you know, that does feel like kind of the next step in using local product is yeah. making, making breads with local flour, that, that, that that's new, that that's something kind of innovative. Well, so I think that's innovative and new here. If you go to other parts of the country, like if you go to the West Coast, you know, like San Francisco or anything in California, Portland, that area, bread is is bread. I mean, that's where it's, you know, like there's so much attention around bread. So you get a lot of heirloom grains and ancient grains out there. Like we make this incredible bread with kamut, which is an, an, an ancient grain from the Middle East that's now grown in Montana. And these heirloom grains are never been genetically modified, not to get technical, but they're as pure as you can get them, right? And so they they just elevate your bread to this other level. And you're like, why haven't I had this before? And most people here in Houston, I mean, look, don't get me wrong, we have an amazing food scene here, right? I mean, it's nationally ranked, if you will. I think arguably- 100%. You could, right. But for bread, we've never, I mean, we've got other bread providers here too. Yes, I understand that. But I mean, the people don't go to Houston for bread. Well, right? no. And so one of the things that, that sometimes you hear- is that it's really hard to make bread in Houston because of the humidity. 100% correct. So what do you do to kind of mitigate that, to, I, to, to have a consistent product? It's, it's trade secrets. Um, <laughs> and um, I've, I've, I'm not kidding when I say that. We, we do some, some, some little special things inside uh, at, at the bakehouse to try to eliminate as much humidity as we can. Because when we first started baking in the bakery, Mind you, I've lived in Houston now for 10 years, so I'm used to the humidity, but my baker came to me from Denver, which is the driest place on the planet. So she's like, I don't understand. I just pulled this out of a 500-degree oven, and this thing is mush. I'm like, well, you're living in the mecca of humidity. So we've been, you know, it took us, honestly, probably a good solid three weeks of test baking before we even considered doing our first wholesale um, delivery because of the humidity. We wanted to try to eliminate as much of the humidity, the impact of the humidity onto the product as we could. All right, and then I have to ask you about gluten-free because that's the other thing. You must, you must hear that all the time. So here's two things I hear. I was like, uh, even today, someone commented on our Instagram post about, I want all of these breads keto-friendly. Uh, okay. 
I can't. I can't. Right, coconut. I don't, I don't even yeah. know how that works. I, I don't cauliflower. Either. Like, do you make it with coconut flour? I, I, or I, like? I don't. I don't even know what keto means anymore. Honestly, I I don't think it's necessarily sustainable. But I'm not going to go down that path. Um, so I get gluten free. Yes, for those that are celiac and genuinely can't. Right, but at the same time, I tell them. I said, listen, I'm a pro gluten environment. I don't have the capacity at this point to 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 set up an entire production just for gluten free products. But you would need a separate building. Basically. Completely, you've got to get certified too. That's the other thing people don't realize. You've got to get a certification so you don't put bread in a bag and kill someone with it at the end of the day. Right. So, do I have any ambitions to go gluten free at some point? Yeah, I, I don't know. I like gluten quite a bit, so I'm kind of pro gluten. No gluten. Gluten makes pizza delicious. Right. right? Like I pastas. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is i mean there's a whole range of like greek sweets and pastries mm. you know anyone who's been to you know anyone who's been to nico nico's knows that you know it's not just um baklava there's those wedding cookies yeah and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. and yeah, yeah right there's like a million things yeah uh do you do you kind of look at all that stuff and want to put your spin on it yeah we do um, we do, uh, there's, um, stuff we want to play with. Uh, it's kind of in our plan for the new year to start playing with uh, a little bit of, so I have an entire collection of, again, my mother's and grandmother's recipes for all the sweets and pastries that I grew up, you know, destroying as a child. Um, and I say that with all the loving lists in the world. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I, you know what, there's outside of Nico Nico's, there's really nowhere else to find traditional greek pastries or even a greek pastry that's been you know modernized or even infused with something else so yeah of course i dude uh, wait till new year's new year's i want to do a, a vasilopita which is a traditional new year's cake that we do which is you know uh it's like a like a, a syrup almost type cake that's got like this coin in it so whoever cuts the cake that slice and gets the coin gets luck for the whole year it's kind of oh, like the king cake yeah it's kind of like the king, like cake, the king except, cake but a greek version. except you want the except you want the coin you don't yeah, want the baby yeah right because if you get the baby then you have to buy the next king. correct in this case you just want the coin and it's all competition who's going to get the coin yeah so there's a, there's a lot of kind of that stuff i want to do because you know that's that's my family that's where we're from well and and so i i wouldn't usually do this but but since it is this episode is going to come out Thanksgiving morning. Oh, very nice. Let me let me ask you about what's th- what's Thanksgiving like at your house. So, um, so I'm I'm married into a restaurant family too. So there's a lot of us. There's a lot of Greeks in our. Uh, my wife has five siblings. So there's uh, 25 right. immediate people that come to my house. Wow. Yeah. It's and that's normal, right? And so, <laughs> so um, yeah. Don't you do that at your house? <laughs> We're gonna be. Uh, Six adults and four children under the age of five. Yeah. So this year it's grown um, because uh, my wife invited two thirds of the clergy from our church with their families. They all have kids and wives and all that. Right. And so they're coming. So plus my family, plus her family. And we're hosting at my house because we host at my house every year. So I'll be doing the cooking, of course. So how many how many turkeys is that? Um, We're doing two turkeys and we're, we're someone's giving us a third i think so there's a potential for a third yes and we're and i'm even doing a thanksgiving tonight at my house because i have family in from australia that leaves tomorrow so we're like hey you gotta have thanksgiving so we're gonna do it twice this year <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll be just disgustingly like just dead to the world from filled with turkey and god knows what else we'll be eating by the end of the week <laughs> um do you so so other than the sweets? Do you have 
do you have a plan for kind of products you still want to introduce or, or like what's the, what's the next six months look like? Is it to grow the wholesale business or, or to expand the product offerings? Well, and we haven't even talked about the home delivery component, which is yeah, yeah. something you're doing. That's, that's really cool. So yeah, why don't we, why don't we start with, why don't we start with the home delivery component and then I'll circle back to my future plans question. Sure. So um, we do currently do a weekly um, subscription based service where you can get bread delivered to your door on a weekly basis. And it's a buy one, give one model. So you buy a loaf and then we give a loaf uh, to a local charity, Second Servings, who then donates it to help feed Harris County families, which is something important to me because of, I guess you could say, the the nature of why I know how to make bread, because my parents couldn't afford to buy it, but they could buy the flour. So I thought it would be great that we do something to give back to the community because that was important. So, And then we're going to start doing a home delivery aspect of it where it's a one-off purchase. So if you don't want to subscribe weekly and get it on a regular basis, you could go to the website, log in, place an order, and we'll deliver it to your house uh, because, you know, we're located on the south side of town off Stella Link close to NRG. So not everybody can make it down to Brazewood Heights area to pick up bread if they wanted to. So we will bring it to you instead. And and the community has been very, very um, responsive to that, just to the aspect of even walking into the bakery and just trying to buy bread. And when we put a sign up that says we're not open to the public, they would just read it and keep going. And keep coming in. Yeah, it didn't work. Didn't right? work. You, 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 we, you, you tried that. You were going to be wholesale only, and now you're open to the public like three days a week. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, we're doing it twice a week, Fridays and Saturdays, just to kind of focus on wholesale because wholesale is growing, um, and it's doing really well for us. So we just thought, let's just, you know, well, whatever is left, you know, from the nights, uh, from the early morning nights bake, we'll just, you know, we'll put it out there in a little table and let you know the, the little neighborhood come by and pick it up. Um, but then, so you were saying about, um, what's coming next. So, um, I will, we are uh, looking to expand the product catalog, um, in terms of incorporating some, uh, potential laminated doughs and things like that. Um, that, yeah, cause we're, we're being asked that from our current customers. Like, Hey, do you guys make croissants? And I'm like coming soon to a theater near you. Um, and so that'll be next, uh, laminated doughs and, um, my baker really wants to do pies. So there may be pies in our near future. Um, I do have, and she does as well, has um, ambitions to potentially do uh, maybe a retail, like cafe bakery tile, uh, style concept. So for us, it would just mean the right concept with the right timing, with the, maybe even the right people involved. Who knows? But Right. I mean, taking, you know, sandwiches made with your bread, Greek pastries, Greek coffee. Sure. Yeah. It's I mean, like coming it to my house like on a Saturday. A, right. Right. It <laughs> seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. It, yeah. And so, you know, for us, it's also one step at a time. Like we, we like to control our growth rate, if you will. So we're not trying to overextend ourselves over a period of time, but for sure, laminated doughs will be coming next. And then maybe in the next couple of years or whatnot, maybe we'll have something in the works to do something a little bit more than that. Right. Cause you've only been in the bakehouse for less than six months. Yeah. About five and a half months. Right. So yeah. you're, I mean, you're growing, I, safe to say you're, this is exceeding your business plan. Yes. The, <laughs> yes. The business plan got thrown out the window after month two, <laughs> maybe three. It, it's, I don't even look at it anymore. It's like, this, this is null and void. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I say that humbly, trust me. I am, I pinch myself y'all every day that I get to do what I love. Right. And people are, are, you know, like it. That to me is everything. If you like what I make or you love it as much as I do, I've done my job. I'm the happiest guy in the world. Right. No, no. Right. Like I'm, I'm in the same boat you are. I never thought, you know, 10 years ago, I, I never would have thought that I'd be a writer. Right. And when I started writing, you know, one of the big questions was, 
will anybody read this? Right? Because it, it, you know, if you if you write every day and nobody reads it, you don't get to do it for very long. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, right. Right. So yeah. So it's a it's it's a huge compliment that that people read the work and listen to the podcast and and that I get to I get to do this thing that's really fun. Yeah, you know, it's um I totally hear you because the the most the most rewarding part of my job is getting to sit across the table from some of these really top chefs we have in the in, in Houston and we'll take a bite out of your bread and you're literally anticipating like what is his response going to or what is their response going to be? And then when they look at you and they go, "Man, where have you been?" And you're like, yeah, man, this is that's that's what you live for. That's the good stuff, right there, right? Right. Uh, I don't know. Two years ago, I was elbows deep in Excel spreadsheets, right? Like, I, yeah, Talk I didn't, about, I didn't, I didn't know there was a market for this. Uh, conference calls with India. Oh yeah, joy. Yeah, let me tell you, <laughs> that was fun. Five a.m. conference calls. Did did you did they ever tell you to do the needful? Uh, yes. That was that was my former life working with uh, an offshore team in India. Oh, did you? I always had to do the needful. I'm still yeah. not 100 percent sure what that means. I, I don't. I had three. Um, so I led a global team at Accenture, and I, I had I don't know three or four people in, in India. No clue still to this day. They would tell me to do that, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I have no idea what you're right. talking about. No reference. Right. I I think it's I think it's a nice way of saying, like, please do this thing for us. Right. Do this. Do this thing for us right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We can't. We can't proceed without your input. It, and it, it's a very, very, very polite way for them to say, I need this right now. Yeah, right now. Right now. The needful. Yes, it's very <laughs> needful. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that means, but okay. I'll get on it in a minute. <laughs> so, all right. So. Now we can go back and forth. On I've had, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like a whole, it's like a whole part of my life that like doesn't exist anymore and that I, I don't. I don't remotely miss, and I sense that you're, you feel the same way. Yes, I'm nodding my head like wholeheartedly. I do not miss my corporate 21 year corporate career. I do not miss it. Right. It was great on paydays. Yeah. yeah. Right. 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 And when you got paid, you're like, oh, this ain't bad. And then Monday came, you're like, oh yeah, this sucks again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. That that I you you and I were probably in the same boat. I used to feel like as long as I like did a good job and made our clients happy and, and all that stuff that like whether I liked my job or whether I was like, whether I could talk about what I did for a living with, with other people, like didn't really matter. Mm. And, and now that I have a job that I'm like really proud of and that I, that like puts me out in the public, it's like this, this is way better. Like even, even if the, yeah. you know, regardless of the income, it's like, this is, this is just way more fun. Oh yeah. I, 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 for the first time in my career, y'all, my parents and my mother-in-law and my family can s- understand what I do for a living. Oh, he owns a bread bakery. Oh, wow. Before that, they're like, I don't know. He worked for some big company doing something. That's what they would say, right? <laughs> and so now it's, and it's, I, I, I told my wife, I was like, I don't, if, even if I make what I used to make in my previous life, I'd be the happiest guy. Even if I made less of that, I don't care. I mean, not that I don't care. Of course, obviously I have three kids and I need to keep the lights on and keep them fed. Yeah, but but she's a high earner. Yeah, yeah, man. She does all right. Yeah. <laughs> she's okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's all right. She's not she's not bad. She's not okay for herself. Yeah. She's the top rated morning show host in the city of Houston. She's, that's that's you know. fair. Sure, you could say that. Yeah. She's done well. She, she's making it happen. She's she's yeah, she's killing it is what she's doing. She's crushing it. She's the only reason why I could afford to do a bakery, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> let's call it what it is. <laughs> It's always my my aspiration is to be the kept man of a wealthy woman. It's uh, 
Uh, One of well, these days. Well, even when you get with a wealthy woman, they still don't want to keep you. So they're like, get out there and bust your hump, you little. And I'm like, all right, I'm going. <laughs> Go bake bread, you bastard. No. All right. Well, on that note, yeah, uh, that brings me to the end of my questions, unless there is some aspect of bread man you feel like I haven't asked you about that you're just dying to discuss. Um, I don't think I have anything I'm dying to tell you. Um. I'll just say that, you know, I, I'll say this. I don't foresee us going anywhere for a while. And um, I'm really very grateful and proud for everyone that has supported us along the way, including yourself, which I, if I haven't properly thanked you for the story you did with us back in July, thank you. Um, I brought you two bags of bread, so there you go. And, um, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know, I, I love what I do, and I hope that I can continue to do it and eventually pass this down to my kids. And, I mean, that's what I'm in this for, right? I mean, I just love doing it. Um, it's fun to do. I love bread and I just want to make sure that Houston knows that there is really good bread in the city. That's my mission really is just to educate the city that there's really good bread and there is a difference between high quality artisan bread and not high quality artisan bread. Right. Well, and right. You, you learned something that, that other restaurants that I've written about, which is that a surprisingly large number of people read culture map. Yeah. Huge. A lot of them. They all called me and they go, Hey, we saw you on culture map. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. And then all of a sudden, you know, chefs started calling us, and we got a, a big influx of business because of your story. So thank you. Yeah. Thank no, you. you're welcome. I'm I'm always happy to. That's why I don't like to charge you for bread, but he. Well, he you still know, pays for it. I do pay for it. I know. Uh, but I yes, but yes, I I it's as I said, it's it's very flattering that that people read the work and respond to the work, and and it's nice to support, you know, up and coming local businesses thank that you. are that are bringing something new and exciting to the city. Thank you, man. I really appreciate your support. All right, so I always wrap this. Uh, this interview up with something I call the lightning round. All right. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, Lord. That'll get me in trouble. All right. Toss us, what's your favorite ingredient? Flour. What's the first band you ever saw in concert? Uh, oh, Beastie Boys. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Whataburger. <laughs> what is your, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Ooh. <laughs> you're, uh, you're a Dallas guy. This is where you. you sell yeah, us out. this is where he's ah Nolan Ryan because he played for both teams. That's a great answer. <laughs> and finally, where's your favorite place in Houston to get a taco? Oh, I love going to um, Velvet Taco. Good answer. Yeah, I like Velvet Taco. I've been there quite a bit here recently, actually. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, give us the the website and the social media accounts and all that for Breadman Baking Company. Sure. So the website is uh, breadmanco.com. So breadmanco.com. The Instagram is the same, at breadmanco. The Facebook page is breadmanbaking. So facebook.com slash breadmanbaking. And at Twitter, at breadmanco. Cool. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on... Apple Podcasts and the Google Play Store and coming soon to Spotify. Yes, producer Michael? Oh, we are on Spotify. Even better. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.